0: Hey, everyone. So for those of you who follow me on social media or read my newsletter, you'll know that I'm switching my regular Wednesday release to a more ad hoc basis, and I'm going to be releasing podcasts when I feel like they're the most relevant and they're going to serve people the best. Now, this podcast with J.P. Sears is an example of that, because when I recorded it, we were in the throes of the COVID quarantine, and that was on the front of people's minds. Now, obviously, as we are all aware, there is a much different, and perhaps much bigger issue that we are all confronting right now. So I just want to say that I want to give all of my sympathy, support, compassion, and every bit of sensitivity to everything that's going on right now. And for those of you who follow me on social media, I've been voicing my opinions there. And I'll try to get a podcast out relevant to what's happening with all of the current events as quickly as possible. Uh, But there's a couple podcasts that I still have recorded that will be working to get out and so bear with me and the new changes in the podcast will make everything that i release a lot more relevant so i think that'll be better for everyone Uh, but this podcast was a lot of fun and it's always a great time with JP sears he's a comic genius and there's a lot of sarcasm in here there's some facts and information in here we discuss fear we go deep down the rabbit hole of our minds and psyches and i even interview one of his sarcastic characters Uh, that he produced in a video, which is the guy that believes everything the media tells him. So again, take this with a light heart and also uh, my own apologies that it's a bit out of context given the situation in the world. And, you know, when we recorded it, people were worried about gathering in large groups and we've seen some of the biggest gatherings in the entire world. So it will be interesting to see how the coronavirus shakes out, uh, given the fact that Social distancing is uh no longer a thing, so at least for the time being, um, interesting times, and once again, just my heartfelt compassion, sympathy and uh, and support for the Black Lives Matter movement and everything that's going on right now. Much love everybody. Before we begin, I want to talk to you again about my sponsor, Skillshare. Now, if you guys aren't doing any online learning and taking online courses, you're really missing an amazing opportunity. There are some incredible and specific classes that are really going to help you. I mean, when you go to a regular university like I did, University of Richmond, I was learning some interesting things. I like my philosophy classes, etc., but they weren't practical. They weren't specific as to what I really needed and what could really help me. I had to learn all that on my own. Well, that's not the world we're in now. And Skillshare is just a master at providing this that's cost-effective and truly excellent. So some of the classes that you can take, there's a class on essentialism, there's a class on iPhone filmmaking. I've taken and looked at the classes on creative writing. I used to love writing short fiction and that's something that I've gotten away from and something I'll probably get back to. And literally anything you can think of is going to be available on the Skillshare platform. So check it out, you'll get two free months of premium membership at skillshare.com slash Aubrey. And that's two months of unlimited access to thousands of classes for free. I mean, there's literally thousands of classes. So you're gonna find something dope. And most of us do have a lot of time on our hands right now. So please check it out, skillshare.com slash Aubrey. JP, my brother. Aubrey. What's going on, man? I'm
1: I just going around coughing into people's mouths, <laughs> keeping myself
0: busy. Yeah. You know how freaked out people would be if you just randomly kiss raped them at this point? It, That's like the worst thing you could do right now. I would, uh, you know, any form of, Aubrey, uh, take a breath. Any <laughs> form of
1: rape is usually about the worst thing you could do. Yeah. And for sure. <laughs> for
0: sure. But now, if you just made out with somebody, they would fucking flip out. I mean, yeah. normally you should flip out. That's inappropriate and uh, you shouldn't ever do that. But now if someone just kissed you, you'd be like, you motherfucker. So
1: apparently there was a lady in Florida who, like in a bar that's open in Florida, she like randomly kissed three guys. That's what I'm talking about. And then called the cops for the bar, not practicing social distancing. And it's in Florida. So of course that happened. Then she probably ate their faces off. that's yeah
0: from the bath salts yeah that's there's multiple risks with people opening their mouth inappropriately and attacking you in this time and uh and this is definitely one of them fucking strange times man there's it's super strange times Uh, i i think this
1: is one of those times where we'll be 90 and we'll look back and still have the memory of this like this will be a a blip on the radar that still stands out it's memorable and hopefully we can look back and you know learn from what we needed to learn but also learn from how we played into what seems like it is becoming a level of ridiculousness so hopefully we can learn from the mistakes learn from the successes too
0: yeah i mean that's what we were talking about briefly before this is this, this is a this is a really an opportunity to study a lot of things globally yeah you know obviously there's learning about the virus you know there's tons of information that's constantly emerging from the initial reports and statistics and extrapolations of what this might be to what we're actually seeing and just learning from that which is important you know we need to learn and but then there's also like a lot of other effects we can learn the economic effects of something like this we can learn what the other ancillary costs of something like this might be and all of the lockdown and and all of those other measures and really get some information about what the response cost is what the actual you know virality of this thing is and then even more curiously look at like what the proliferation of this amount of fear extended across the world like what is the cost of that dude
1: nothing makes people dumber than being afraid and and i get afraid all the time i get really dumb all the time mm-hmm. yet there's a psychological uh, pretty well. Fact that when you're afraid, your prefrontal cortex gets diminished. the 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 excitement of it, it being online to help you think intelligently, gets diminished. I know you don't have time for that shit. Exactly. It's time to run. It's time to fight. It's it, time to fuck. Exactly. <laughs> so to to get a disaster to happen, get people really afraid, and then make decisions from the fear. Rather than like having fear and being a Zen master and dealing with the fear. But if you don't do that, then you start making decisions from the fear. And when you debrief it, you start to see a lot of stupid things happen when we act out of fear because we're literally
0: stupid when we're afraid.
1: And I get that. Like, I'm not shaming scared sure, people. I'm we've not all shaming been stupid myself and have all I'm been afraid. 100%.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So. And that's, you know, that's something that I think really is the key thing here let's like let's everybody just calm down a little bit and like think logically and rationally and like acknowledge your fear because the first thing about fear is if you don't acknowledge that you're afraid it's going to really run amok yeah the first thing is like oh okay i'm afraid and then all right well let's maybe have some laughs and maybe like look at our own mortality with a little bit of ease instead of this all right yeah we're all gonna die and this is a new threat and it's a real threat you know we're not covid deniers here it's a it's a real thing you know you were just talking to me about somebody that you know very close to you whose father is sick yeah and like we all have people a few degrees of separation where this is very real so it's not like it's not a real thing but also there's lots of real dangerous things in this big scary world that's trying to you know eat us and smash us and and all different sorts of things that are constantly around. So we just have to look at it in perspective and not because this is new, say like, this is the boogeyman. It's a boogeyman.
1: Yeah, you know, as soon as we're born, we are at risk of dying. And our, our fear is meant to protect us from things that could kill us. And when we look around in our daily lives, thank God we don't regularly acknowledge all the things that could kill us you know i jump in my car and we pretend that traffic deaths don't happen but i I think it's 3500 traffic deaths a day in the u.s it's just like wow a lot of people die and you had a near death experience and i did i lost
0: my cousin to a drunk driving accident when i was in high school i was really close to him, my cousin eric like hit really close to home almost took my life took my cousin's life it's it's a real fucking factor
1: yeah and if we let fear and all those areas control us, we wouldn't be driving our cars. Way more people would start starving because nobody's driving. We're all afraid. So we can't transport food. So people are going hungry, dying of starvation. Yet luckily we don't do that. We are with COVID, but we don't do that with all the other things that could kill us because luckily we as a society act intelligent most of the time. Yeah. And, And now we're getting to I think go through a ma- a masterclass in, in learning about fear. And, and I think as we look at like the, the externalization, what's going on in the macro, maybe it's a big reflection of what's going on in the micro internally to show us how we relate to fear within ourselves. Hmm. It's easier to see when it's on the outside of us because our eyes point outward. They don't point inward but i think what really counts is for us to connect with who's looking through our eyes and it's like yeah yeah i can criticize what i judge to be the ridiculousness of fear-based decisions going on with the pandemic based on the new numbers we actually have now yet i would be blind if i didn't acknowledge how i do that to myself and and for so for me part of the master class is learning about my relationship with fear where am i hijacking my intelligence and not just having fear but acting out of fear and making reactive decisions out of fear
0: yeah you know what's interesting is like i am i certainly have still a lot of fear in my system and i and i'm aware of it and i still can't necessarily beat it and what's interesting is one of my like verticals of fear that you that is really a constant pillar is fear about getting sick yeah. right and anybody around me knows that now my fear about getting sick is based in when i'm sick i'm less productive i'm yeah. doing less and if i'm doing less i love myself less because i think that my own worth as a human being and as a man is based upon what i do and not who i am and that's something i've been working on a no, lot that's,
1: that's true that's exactly <laughs> how it is i got it right don't erase that program that's accurate <laughs>
0: so what that ends up leading to is i'm constantly afraid of just getting a cold or getting like getting the flu so i'm constantly sanitizing and washing my hands before this happened because i'm like really worried about that lack of productivity that would come from me being sick it's not even so much the symptoms symptoms or whatever you take some advil and you fucking sleep it off watch some movies you know whatever that's that's all fine but me not being able to do a podcast like this or like perform is fucking terrifying to me but i also recognize that as i'm constantly sanitizing my hand you know throughout the last i don't know fucking 10 15 years it's like i'm i'm washing my hand i'm putting a little bit of fear on my hands and just rubbing it in and yes it might have some modicum of benefit in the short term in case i encountered a pathogen but long term i'm lathering myself with fear all the time yeah and making yourself look like a
1: sissy poverty. <laughs> yeah. so you, with with i love myself even less now <laughs> well you're not lovable <laughs> so for you you know the it sounds like the real fear isn't the fear of getting sick but it sounds like the fear of being unproductive which means you your fear is i'm afraid i wouldn't be worthy right. if i'm not productive right dude that's so empowering to just know
0: yeah It is.
1: It really, you know, Ram Dass's wisdom, the the late great Ram Dass, you can't get out of a jail. You don't know you're in, you can't get out of a jail made of your own fear until you know you're in it. So I I think my delusional ego, and maybe some people can relate to this. Otherwise I'm just the only fuck up that gets scared. (laughs) So my delusional ego says, you know, it, if I acknowledge my fear, I'm giving it power. And therefore, it says, "If I can just deny the fear, if I can deny that I'm, you know, in this jail of fear, if I can deny that, you know i'm not I'm not afraid of being uh, uh, unworthy, my ego thinks there's power in that. yet I, I think there's control. I think the the sense of power is truly suffocation. And it's a temporarily temporary sense of safety because anytime we obey the fear, become obedient to it, we get the short term effect of feeling safer. Mm. That's the fear controls us, therefore, we feel safer, less afraid than if we were unobedient to the fear. Yet, to me, the real empowerment is when we have the courage to recognize the fucking jail of fear we're in. I have a fear of being unworthy too. Like, I, I'm way more productive than is for my own good because i am yep. uh, like i'm there with you i'm afraid of being unworthy and i link so much worthiness to productivity as well
0: yeah i think that's a it's a pattern that we all fall in and and to go talk about something else that you're saying like if we don't acknowledge our fear it would be like if you think there's a monster under your bed but you just leap up on top of the bed and don't look under that <laughs> motherfucker, it's gonna terrify you. It's just
1: you know? 10 hours of
0: torture <laughs> yeah, for the exactly. next. Exactly. Like, night. good luck sleeping. If you really think there's a monster under there and you don't acknowledge it, be like, okay, I'm a little bit scared of what's under the bed. I'm gonna look, even though I'm a grown ass adult, and see yeah. if there's anything under the bed. And it's the same. I mean, that's not a real example for most people. I mean, maybe kids actually believe that. But for us, like, if I hear something banging on my house outside that's unusual, I will get my gun and my flashlight and I'll look. And I have no expectation there's going to be anything, but acknowledging, wow, that kind of scared me. Let me go check it out and just make sure that nobody's trying to home invade and and, and break in my house. Then I can sleep fine. You know, then I can maybe I'll, you know, burn a little. Palo santo or cinnamon stick or something yeah. and be like okay everything's cool bro like is you're like, all good just picture like we're in texas by the way picture <laughs> you have your boxers on bathrobe
1: and you like holster your gun and your front waistband as you're the no Palo boxers, Santo, bro.
0: No both, boxers. G- both guns out. Just both guns. <laughs> <out>. <laughs> Unconcealed. Yeah. I'm going to scare somebody one way or another. Yeah. I don't know, man. It's just a, it's, it's like, you have to address it. You have to fucking, you have to deal with it. So if we pretended
1: that we become enslaved to our own fear and we're obedient to our own fear, anytime we're denying our fear or simply acting from the fear, first off it, that's my opinion i'm curious does mm-hmm. that resonate is somewhat true for you yeah
0: i mean I, I think the first step is just acknowledging and just being humble enough to say oh i'm scared and being scared is going to cause a cognitive bias it's going to cause a shift actually in our brain and the priorities of the different parts of our brain in the way that we're perceiving the world the movie that we're watching will be different yeah. when we're afraid you know and like you have to engage in that like if you watch a horror movie and you put yourself in a place where you're just constantly reminding yourself this is a movie this is a movie and you don't get lost in the movie the shit's not scary and the movie's terrible it's like this movie's lame the plot sucks like why it's like the Geico commercial. Like, why are they hiding in the shed? Don't you just run <laughs> down, get away, like stop doing, don't hide in the shed full of chainsaws, you idiots. Like this movie's <laughs> terrible. doesn't make any sense. But if you're there, you're like, oh my God, not the shed with the chainsaws, yeah. you know? And it's, it's just, you get lost in the, you get lost in the movie of your own perception.
1: Indeed. So, and in, in for me, something I see all this, all the time within myself is when I do that, that magic step of have awareness about my fear, I might feel the fear more, yet the paradox is there's less fear. Because in in if there's a fear there that's going unacknowledged, where we're at is we're afraid to be afraid, which means we've got fear squared. There's so much of it that we're overwhelmed by it, so we can't perceive it. And it, it, and I think that's when we get rigid. We we don't feel afraid because we're numb to it because that's it's just overwhelming our system. But I think when we can give ourselves the the permission to have our birthright of being a human and be scared cool we we've just transcended the level of being afraid to be afraid now we're allowing ourselves to be afraid but if we're just afraid to be afraid that means we're we're making all of our decisions from a
0: secondary fear (laughs) yeah compounding first one yeah compounding it dramatically
1: and aside from awareness i'm curious in your experience what are some of the antidotes to not being enslaved by one's fear
0: well there's an amazing amount of research in the field of psychology on exposure and response therapy where it's like you expose yourself to the fear and you actually find that you're less and less afraid of it so like if you have a an arachnophobia like if you gently expose yourself by getting like a caged tarantula And like spending some time meditating with it you might have you have to be mindful not to overdo it because there's too much exposure and you'll have a full panic attack right you don't want to cover yourself in tarantulas (laughs) that's a little extreme but like maybe start with a picture or maybe challenge
1: but not over yeah exactly
0: so it's like almost like a hormetic stressor you know like a a little bit of cold therapy is great for you you know you go 30 seconds in the shower three minutes in a cold plunge whatever your level is that's great but if you're out lost in a freezing wilderness and you're having to deal with it there's going to be problems your immune system will no longer recover and adapt in a healthy way so it's like the right amount of exposure to that fear is incredibly helpful i've discovered that i mean ayahuasca is a great tool to use for that i mean the first time i did it it was exposing me dramatically to my fear of death i mean i had i had visions of insects crawling in my eyes and laying eggs and exploding out of my ears and nose and i was like wow that's terrible i don't want that and i was sliding down a vine of thorns naked and it was eviscerating me genitals first and i was like that is horrible like i you know all of these visions i had to expose myself to finally ayahuasca was like no you now you got cancer and you're gonna die a Mm. slow painful death i was like no 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 till finally i was like okay if i get cancer i fucking have cancer and then ayahuasca was like nah just kidding and then it was like <laughs> awa and just hugged me and held me to the earth and was like you're good bro yeah. you're all good and i was like oh thank god yeah. you know and there was the exposure to my own fear of death that actually helped limit my fear of death yeah. and that was that was really key there's another story too i was reading a report of a doctor and i don't recall his name but he's famous for being able to treat schizophrenia and there was a guy who was saw snakes everywhere and was terrified mm-hmm. of snakes and could see snakes everywhere he looked so the doctor was like, huh, all right. Well, let me see if I can deal with this." So he had the permissibility to do a pretty radical treatment. This guy had full-blown schizophrenia. He was really, really struggling. The medications weren't working. So he has the guy and then he goes to a pet store and he gets a bunch of docile snakes, actual snakes. And then he goes to a toy store and he gets a bunch of rubber snakes. And he creates a room that has a bunch of the real snakes and a bunch of rubber snakes, Hmm. you know? And then the guy who hallucinates snakes all the time he puts the guy in the room and the guy this is an extreme treatment for an extreme case of schizophrenia and i'm not like recommending anybody do this This it's not a recommendation i'm just talking about a case report of a doctor who did this and he leaves the guy and the guy is obviously freaking out and like completely losing his mind because he's now he's got three different types of snakes his hallucinated snakes the rubber snakes and the real snakes all in the room so eventually the doctor then takes the guy out the guy calms down and he's like all right can you tell the difference between the hallucinated snakes, the rubber snakes, and the real snakes? And the guy was like, yeah, that's a real snake. This is a rubber snake. These ones are the hallucinated snakes. And he's like, great. Now you know that your snakes that you're seeing are not real. Hmm. And it ended up treating successfully the guy who had schizophrenia about these hallucinated snakes because he realized like, oh, I can tell the difference between a real one, a rubber one, and a hallucinated one. And he was able to like work through it, even in the most extreme case of fear.
1: That's amazing.
0: All right, everyone. So I feel like this is the perfect podcast to introduce my new sponsor, Manscaped. Now, for those of you who shave your junk, that is always a moment where you really have to have a lot of courage because your trimmer starts buzzing. And we all have those memories of that time where the teeth of that trimmer took a little chunk out Of our business (laughs) and that's the worst I mean literally the worst and then that moment will incite fear and make you not want to shave anything but if you don't shave anything then you're going to have a big pubic bush which is going to be itchy perhaps make you look a little smaller maybe that doesn't matter for you because you're hung like a donkey but either way um, it's probably a pretty good idea in this modern day and age to just give yourself a little trim and uh, talking to the ladies I've encountered, it's also something that they tend to approve of. Now, that doesn't mean you have to go down to the skin, and that's why having a good trimmer is really important. So Manscaped, my new sponsor, has really focused and dedicated themselves to making the absolute best product. They call it the Lawnmower 3.0. It's got skin-safe technology, so it's not going to nick your junk. And it has 90 minutes of battery power, and it's exactly designed... Shave your balls, (laughs) and that's a good thing because all the other trimmers are designed to shave your beard or shave your head. And for those of us who know beards, head, and balls, those things are not the same. So, I hope you guys check it out. If you're interested in this topic at all, you can get 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. That's m a n s c a p e d.com. And use the code AMP, and you'll get 20% off and free shipping. On the new Lawnmower 3.0. Check it out.
1: I, I think I love the idea of, sorry, I have um, diseases. You're going to die. <laughs> I love the idea of exposing ourselves to exactly what we're afraid of. And I also so value regularly exposing ourselves to simply the sensation of fear as well, preferably on a daily basis. <clears throat> and you, uh you know our uh psychotic amazing friend tim kennedy his saying is just to me so wise hard times make strong people strong people make easy times easy times make weak people weak people make hard times it's a life cycle Salute. and and tim shared with me from his point of view we've had really fucking easy times in mm. his point of view. And I agree with it. We have a lot of weak fucking people out there mm. and, and I'm not pretending to be Mr. Green beret, Tim Kennedy. Like I'm, I'm 99% weak and I'm, I'm right. working on the 1% strong. And if fucking you watched warrior.
0: my fucking hand washing pre COVID, you yeah. would say the same thing about me. You're, I will. You're very weak, <laughs> Aubrey you fucking
1: hand washer. So, Disclaimer, please wash your hands. (laughs) eh, Inject Lysol too, you fucking (laughs) Jesus. But so we've been living in easy times. Like we we didn't grow up in the Great Depression. And I know everybody had different circumstances, yet the era we've been living is, by comparison, relatively easy. No doubt. Yet I don't think we need to obey the life sentence well, we've grown up in easy times, so I'm going to be a weak person. No, we can make ourselves really fucking strong. And a part of how we do that is exposing ourselves to things we're afraid of and just the emotion of fear in general. And that's, you know, a couple days ago I was doing the pedestrian bridge near Barton Springs and I've jumped off it the past couple of years, but I've never flipped off it. There was a fear barrier. It's like, yeah, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's uh, 25 feet I've never done a backflip that high. I don't want to smack myself. And like, nah, I'm not going to do it. But a couple of weeks ago, I was there with a friend and I just looked at him and said, I'm going to backflip this motherfucker. (laughs) And the goal wasn't to do the backflip ideally, the goal was to conquer the fear of doing it. So exposing myself to what in all reality was this trivial fear for me went a long way because like, cool, now there's that cross training. There's that, call it the heat tolerance to the fear that's built up. So, you know, when, then when I'm in, in, in the life situation where it really counts, I'll be less reactive to the fear, less obedient to the fear and more centered and like, cool, I feel the fear yet. I'm not going to afraid of this fear i'm not going to be yes. the slave to it because i've exposed myself to the emotion of fear and that's one of the reasons why i love cold therapy as well totally. it ain't from the cold it's from the fear that comes up before you get into the
0: cold and that practice of courage you know courage yeah. is action not retraction in the face of fear yeah. like if you have that and it's not a fear that's going to kill you the cold therapy is ostensibly good for you unless you really have a compromised immune system and that hormetic stressor is too much again like we were talking about but it's going to be fine and that that ability to do that it just reinforces your own personal power your own ability to navigate a world that is scary yeah and i think for me like cold therapy is you know was that still obviously there's those moments where like oh man am i really going to do this today and all of those excuses and justifications why you shouldn't come through your head and you're like no fuck it and i've gotten good at that so there's other things too though that i'll just put into my practice like one thing I really don't like cockroaches or crickets Mm -hmm. like I just have a I have a kind of like immediate fear slash disgust response when I see them and when I recognize that and how much that was controlling me because in Texas where I live there's tree roaches and the tree roaches have an amazing ability to squish themselves and get through all the cracks in my house and they come out at night and so it was really bothering me and I was like fuck it i just got to grab one of these things with my hand and let it outside with my hand instead of going through this whole fucking charade of these some kind of cupping device and some kind of (laughs) like i was capturing a poisonous insect that was going to like that's smart if you have like a spider that you're trying to like get out that might bite you like i get it don't grab it with your hand that's actual danger there's danger there don't do that you know but if it's a cockroach you know they can't fuck you up you know, maybe if you ate it, you'd get a disease or something. But if you hold it in your hand, it's not gonna fuck you up. So I would go through that process and just try and deal with my fear. And it's it's a gnarly little thing, a process of that. Grabbing it with your hand. I mean, I'll I'll get a little courage and I'll go to grab it and then they'll wiggle and squirm. And sometimes they're in my hand and they'll fucking crawl their way out of this tiny little hole where my thumb isn't closing that part of my hand. Yeah. And I'm like, oh God, why, God, why? And I'll just feel like the fear shoot, like little Tingly little barbs that go all through my body, like, oh, and then I'll be like, fucking got to go do it again, yeah. do it right this time. And then if I can do it and I let it out, there's just this rush of like, wow, I am a bad motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> Look at me. Look what I just did. And just, of course, some other person could just grab that and just let it out. Like, what's the big deal, bro? But for me, it is a big deal. And so there's growth there yeah you yeah, doing that. It
1: was your edge of fear that right. you encountered. And it doesn't matter where you, grabbing a tiger, a cockroach. It only matters because that's something that created the authentic emotion of fear in you. Mm -hmm. By the way, how soon after that did you wash your hands? (laughs) Immediately. Immediately. I think there's danger there. Those
0: things are nasty. I don't want anything to do with those fuckers.
1: (laughs) And what else do you do on a regular basis, whether it's daily or somewhat regularly that provokes fear in you but you have the courage ethos and you do the thing anyway
0: i mean i was in a open polyamorous relationship for six years yeah. that was like a constant exposure therapy to my own fears of not being good enough not being worthy enough not being chosen not being good enough in bed not being all of these different things which are deep psychological validation and attachment based fears and it was this massive six-year journey you know through my own fears and I fuck, i'll fuck. i tell you man like I, there's not a fear that i had that i didn't get to experience in that mm-hmm. and i'm super grateful for that it was gnarly and beautiful but it was gnarly like if i was worried about something happening that fucking thing happened you know over yeah. the course of time and and based on the <laughs> The rules and prerogatives of our relationship like whatever i was afraid of it happened yeah my partner falling in love that happened a super aggressive sexual lover that happened you know some fucking gigantic dick slinging monster that happened like whatever <laughs> was it
1: that that black dude with the with yeah, the meme yeah
0: barry you're, is very yeah barry barry showed up like every <laughs> everything everything that could exist like did exist and so i had to deal with that and it's not like i want to grab cockroaches for the rest of my life with my hand i just want to get to the point where i'm over the fear and i know that i could yeah and that it's okay if i could and i with the open relationship i got to the point where i'm okay i'm okay with that like i was i was okay with that it's not and you know this is actually news but i'm actually with a new partner now and we're engaged breaking news Woo! to everybody. And, uh, and I'll, we're taking our time before making it a public thing and introducing everybody, but don't worry, you'll get to meet her all. Yeah, And it's so by been By the beautiful. way, I'm so happy
1: for you, thank brother.
0: Thank you, brother, thank you, it's been beautiful. But, you know, I don't wanna be in an open polyamorous relationship with her anymore. Now, if that was the way that it went and she was like, look, I really wanna do this, like, I've dealt with that fear and I'm like, all right, babe, you mm-hmm. know, that's cool. Like, we can do this. I've, I put myself through the gauntlet mm-hmm. of fire and like, I can handle that. We can do that for a while if that's what you want, you know, And because I love her in that way. And I, I trust myself. It doesn't mean I want to do it, but I could. Yeah. And that's a great sense of like, it's a great sense of confidence. And also for her, and she's also had her own experience in polyamory as well, and is choosing monogamy now as well. But both of us have been there in that position where we'd be like, okay, this is a discussion now. You know, yeah. cool. Like we've dealt with this, we can deal with this again and do it a little better and deal with our own fear a little better. And so that's the place I think we want to be in. We want to be in a place where we have agency, where we can think rationally, where fear doesn't just overtake us and compel us.
1: Yeah. I love that. And I love how I, I think, especially in our relationship with fear, oftentimes life will balance itself out. So, you know, polyamory used to be the fear edge. And now, like you you've become accustomed, adapted to that fear. Yeah. Not to say that fear wouldn't be provoked if y- you went. Polly again, but like, cool. Now you're actually going on the other side. And uh, though I'm not inside of you, I would anticipate like maybe monogamy is now the thing that will bring up fears. There'll be obviously a different fear. And, you know, I think as an analogy, sometimes life says like, okay, to conquer your fears, you got to get your ass in the gym. You got to work your butt off, become the warrior. and You do that for a number of years. And now to conquer the next edge of fear, it's like, dude, you're beating yourself up in the gym. You're, you're getting attached to your muscles. Your ego's really based. Now your thing, like go do yoga Mm. for, for a a phase. And the ego says, no, like I'll lose what I've gained. And like, but, but what, what used to be the fear conquering thing, oftentimes we need to go to the opposite side of the fence after a while in the next season in order to Conquer the next fear. And I almost think if you wanted to be just a one size fits all life coach, people come in, like, here's my challenge. And the life coach just says, do the opposite of what you're doing. You know, I think some people, you know, oftentimes we we can even become comfortable in the discomfort of our chosen area Mm. if it's become familiar to us so it's like people who meditate all the time like stop fucking meditating and uh go do crossfit yeah people who like are only in their bodies it's like cool go do a 10-day vipassana Mm. that that's your balance people who are like i always need to be in a relationship cool your path now is go be single for a while people who find comfort in being single i'm safe i'm protected jump into relationship that's your next edge
0: yeah i think that's uh that's really important advice to give to people and i would encourage people to just make a little list of like what you're afraid of that's not actually physically harmful or dangerous yeah. right like make a little list and then think about it maybe you're afraid of looking foolish in public yeah right and so there's a lot of you know people who've talked about the benefits and i think even tim ferris talks about it about negotiating for a price of coffee at starbucks yeah. right like it's an uncomfortable thing like can I get a dollar off <laughs> you know like and just kind of see see how uncomfortable that is that would be hella uncomfortable for me even and I should probably do it you know be like how about 50% off that oat yeah. milk latte right and,
1: now in the disclaimer to to really help people sit with their fear about that I, I, I've done that you have nice. it, it just is the fear exercise but the disclaimer is you can't tell the cashier I'm just doing this to conquer my fear <laughs> no.
0: you, you have to own it like yeah
1: I, can I have 50 cents off
0: yeah totally and if you're afraid of not looking good when you step out of the house just fucking go out with your bedhead and like whatever pimple cream still on your face or like whatever you want to do to like make you more comfortable with that you know one of my spiritual mentors ted decker he recognized that like the impropriety of doing certain things in public would was constricting to him and Mm -hmm. he really is on a he's committed to being as free as possible so if he was out and there was music playing At like a a cafe or a lunch place or whatever and it would have been inappropriate to dance and he's not a dancer this is not steven twitch boss here who's just going to put on a performance and get lauded by the by the public he's like i'm gonna dance (laughs) because this feels really awkward to me and so he would do it and he would dance and people would look and some would smile and some would frown and whatever but for him that was just breaking free and like Okay. Like I've de- I felt that fear collapsing in on me. Yeah. Now I'm going to burst through with my action, not retraction, and I'm going to feel more sovereign and more confident. And now he doesn't need to dance every time he feels yeah. cuz he doesn't have that fear anymore. He knows that he can dance when he wants to, and it's okay.
1: Yeah, I love that. It reminds me, I think it was about 2 years ago in Costa Rica, there was a a uh, transformational like networking thing that Amber was a, a part of. So I was there with her for the, the weekend. And at the end of it, there was like a celebration night, some drinks and leading up to the night, they're going to be doing karaoke with a live musician playing the guitar. And, and he said, JP, do you want to sing a song? And I said, absolutely. I do now. I don't know how to sing. And I truly didn't <laughs> want to sing this song. But I was afraid to do it yeah. and I decided that that's, I've got to do it. And I was 100% by far the worst performer that <laughs> night. And I'll also share with you, as of this recording, the last time I was able to perform live comedy, it was in Grand Rapids, Michigan, just the weekend before most of the lockdown initiated and... <clears throat> I had done four or five sold out shows throughout the weekend. It was just such a great time. People coming out who want to see me have a great time. The shows went phenomenally. And between my, my, uh, Saturday night shows, uh, when they were changing the room over one of the organizers, this was a comedy festival said, JP, we've got a midnight show. It's the best of the grand Rapids laugh Fest coming in. It would mean a lot to us if, if you could do just like a 10 minute spot, because like I, I was just one of the bigger names. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I so didn't want to do it because for several re- reasons, one, it's like, that means I'll get two hours of sleep. Cause I have an early flight the next morning. I'm, you know, I put my all into every show. Yeah. I've done four or five sold out shows and, and then this is a midnight show on a Saturday. And typically that means the crowd's going to be drunk and not an ideal crowd. Mm. And it was, and you knew it was going to be a sparse crowd. It wasn't going to be a sellout. No. And here's my real fear. The the people in that crowd, they weren't coming to see me. Mm. I didn't already have their approval. Yeah. So I looked her in the eye and said, I'd be happy to do it. (laughs) And And it was only because I wanted to face the fear of performing for a much tougher crowd who didn't already know of me and love me. And and it was uncomfortable. Like, it didn't go great. And I'm so glad I did it. It was very uncomfortable.
0: All right, everybody, I want to let you know that the Onnit Summer Collection is here, and that's a collection of all of our favorite products that are on sale for 10% at onnit.com slash Aubrey. We have Shroom Tech Sport. Basically, I take Shroom Tech Sport every time I'm going to train, when I'm going to hike Bear Mountain here in Sedona or going to work out at the Onnit Gym back in Austin. Either way, I'm taking Shroom Tech Sport. It's a phenomenal product. that has been tested by Florida State University and shown to help with high-intensity interval training. And basically, all types of training. Total gut health, it's a staple. Anytime that you want those probiotics, prebiotics, digestive enzymes, HCL, everything that's going to make your gut super happy, help you digest, absorb all the nutrients. Mineral electrolytes, again, I'm here in Sedona. Every time that I need to hydrate, whether I'm working out or hiking or putting this in my thermos, whatever it is, mineral electrolytes are the money move. They have all of the minerals that you need in the most bioavailable format possible. Then we also have key minerals. This is a staple every night before I go to bed. The calcium, the magnesium, the molybdenum, the iodine, the boron, all of these essential nutrients to help the body remineralize. And I particularly like it at night, but you can take it any time in the day. Plant-based protein, of course, one of our staple proteins. And then the protein bars and bites. If you haven't tried the protein bars or the protein bites, like please just give it a go. I think you guys are going to love it. They're truly phenomenal products. One of the products that I'm the most proud that Onnit has been able to create in the last year. So definitely check that out and go to Onnit.com slash Aubrey. As always, you'll get 10% and you'll get the discount on the summer collection. Thanks fam. Onnit.com slash Aubrey. Peace. If you think of, let's think of fear as a virus, right? And you think of the virus, it's always in us. You know, it's an endemic. We're always to some degree dealing with fear. And again, I'm not talking about the immediate fear that comes up when there's danger, like that's useful. Like we all need that. We're not trying to get rid of that. It's a different response. I'm talking about the endemic fear about things that are not actually harmful to our physical body or or anything of our safety or security or any of these things. If you think of that as a virus, then you think of like the viral load being at a certain level. Mm. Well, it's universal. Whatever the cause of that, is inconsequential you have a viral load of fear in your body and this virus is just a metaphor here but imagine that or you could imagine it like a pile of marbles and the viral load is like a pile of marbles that you have all the time well anything that you do to take a few of those marbles and alchemize them into fucking whatever rainbows and butterflies whatever it alchemizes to it's not the same marbles it's not the same not the same load It works. So anything that specifically you do to overcome a fear, however fucking trivial it is, it takes some of that load out of your body and you become more sovereign and less infected and less just saddled by this overwhelming burden of fear, which creates stress and creates all of these different poor physiological responses. Of course, it's been well studied, you know, the shuttling of immune response to short term you know, energy and strength versus with the cortisol to long-term immune restoration and benefit. There's all kinds of things that are happening physiologically, but also psychologically. And anything you do to take a few of those marbles, to take some of that Mm -hmm. viral load and just poof, burst it, is gonna be beneficial. I think
1: that that's a beautiful analogy. Fear is a virus and then illustration with the marbles. Because to me, it's so unrealistic to say like, don't have fear. Well, as soon as we're born, we inherently have the fear of death and anything we have, we have the fear of loss. Yet if the the viral load is small enough, cool, we can function and and maybe our fears actually motivate us and make us better and help us serve other people more. But man, when there's the when we cross the line where the load is now okay, now my actions, my thoughts, my relationships they're really being steered with fear and much like any virus fear spreads it
0: spreads so easily those words are the ways that we infect it those words and the attitude of somebody else in fear we see somebody terrified of something we're going to be like oh shit you yeah. know we learn through that mimicry and and that's a that's a big factor and that plays a huge role and you can look at it from the study of placebo versus nocebo science you know those people who have an attitude towards a different threat in their body and have the belief that they're going to get well either by some pill or some intervention or just some inborn belief in their own strength, they're dramatically gonna respond better mm-hmm. than those who are saddled by fear and hopeless and ruminating on the despair and the chaos it's gonna be in. It's placebo versus nocebo. This isn't, this isn't some woo-woo thing. This is accounted for in every single clinical trial. That's why we randomize and double blind everything. It's because the placebo is fucking real. Yeah. And that's our attitude towards any given situation you know, and how important that is to just be mindful of managing that, you know? And it's just like the body, at all times we have cancer cells, at all times we have viruses, at all times we got fucking E. coli in our system. Like we're dealing with shit all the time and our immune system's just knocking it out. But at a certain point, if it reaches a critical mass, then we have a fucking problem, Yeah. you know? And it's the same with fear. Like we're gonna have it forever, but like let's let's keep our system whole, hearty, healthy, and then keep it at a manageable level and just do the proactive preventative like prophylactic measures against this by taking marbles of this fear and just getting rid of them whenever we can
1: i I agree and and i think one step of awareness when when we're afraid which is hard to become aware of because oftentimes when we are we're afraid we, we don't know it because we're afraid to be afraid and it's like this is just how i am but if we can notice ourselves externalizing the fear and propagating it, just like any virus that wants to spread. So, you know, have you ever had just, you've gotten bad news that isn't about you personally. It's like, Oh, this latest school shooting on the news and you just start telling people about it. It's like, now we are spreading the virus of fear, which is a great telltale sign. Oh, we ourselves are afraid. Mm. I, I think, Those who don't know how to deal with the fear internally externalize it. And I think there's a psychological mechanism that happens where we make an assumption, and I don't think it's accurate, but we make an assumption if I can put this fear onto enough other people, I won't have to deal with it. Just like people who unfortunately went through horrific abuse as a child, whether it's physical or sexual, sometimes they will grow up if it's undealt with and at times they'll abuse other people just they statistically they find 95% of child molesters were molested when they were children make no mistake that doesn't mean 95% of children grow up to become child molesters that's not the statistic 95% of child molesters were molested as a kid So the psychological mechanism is there's this abuse I internalize, it's undealt with, and if I can make someone else the abuse victim, if I can make them carry the abuse, then I won't have to carry it anymore. Now, of course, no matter how many people you abuse, no matter how many people you scare, it's not going to offload your fear. Just like if you think of Freddie Mercury who had AIDS, no matter how many other guys he butt fucked, it wasn't <laughs> enough to offload the AIDS that he had.
0: Yeah, that's, that's, that's very true. That, that is very an true.
1: accurate butt fucking analogy, <laughs>
0: Aubrey. Go wash your hands. I, I saw, I had so many things to say to your whole, to your whole rant and then you busted out that analogy and all of it just burst out of my
1: mind. I was yeah. like, whoa. So the moral of the story, too, is two morals. Don't have sex with Freddie Mercury. <laughs> He's dead. It's going to be yeah. hard anyway. And number two, I think, and, and I want to own this because I can be better at it. Notice myself when I'm externalizing fear, whether it's with my wife. Like, oh, did you see the latest bad news? or Bill Gates? Or It's like, mm. no, I need to be a man and deal with my own fears. And then talk about what's natural. If I still want to talk about it, cool. I'll talk about the same subject, but it'll be a much different energy, not one using the people around me to
0: bleed yeah. off my fear onto. There's also like a way that our ego gets involved in what we're afraid of, you know, in a certain, and still not acknowledging that we may be acting out of fear. Like somebody maybe really have a a really kind of, have an opinion about covid the virus and be like i'm not fucking afraid like i do not give a shit about this i'm not scared i'm like i'm not gonna wear a mask like i'm confident in my immune system and i'm good to go but the way that they're analyzing the situation they could be terrified of you know tanks mobilizing in this kind of national guard lockdown like because i remember getting emails from people they were like, we saw fucking tanks mobilizing. It's gonna be full lockdown here, and like <laughs> those emails fucking float out. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa! Like, we sure about this? Yeah. But that's still the same as acting in fear, as imagining that the initial statistics, which were like 4.5 percent mortality yeah. rates, you know, and like believing that two million people were gonna die and all this, like it's just a different shift of fear and it doesn't make you better because you're terrified you see one fucking army moving some tanks from one base to another and the army's like no we're just this is what we do all the time we move vehicles and stuff yeah but they they extrapolate that into some fear-based orwellian hypothesis that is not really happening just the same as perhaps the covid virality and mortality is not really happening but someone who doesn't believe in the in the COVID mortality, because in the statistics have kind of shown that, they might think that they're better, but they yeah. might be just as fucking afraid yeah. of some other thing and acting just the same way about some other, you know, some other aspect of what's going what the state's gonna do and what the government's yeah. gonna do. And they're still infected with fear. It's just a different avenue. And just we all have fear. We're all afraid of different things. Yeah. And that's okay. And we all have blind spots. Blind spots, exactly.
1: And, and I think that is a freaking like gold medal, mindful point, like the, the, the inner Zen master can say like, okay, you're not afraid of COVID. Are you afraid of the opposite thing that's right. in your blind spot? So let's be aware. Cool. And, and I think that hits the nail for me. I have, I, I have been afraid of our rights being taken away. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I i did not really buy into like, dude, there's army tanks in the streets of San Diego. <laughs> maybe go fuck yourself and do a little <laughs> gossip. But yeah, I've been afraid of our rights taken away. And in that, I would say that at times, and hopefully I've been able to outgrow this, I've been able to like, yeah, look down on people who uh, you're afraid of those initial projections. Like, yeah, it's silly that you still believe that. Meanwhile, it's like, oh, I'm just scared of this thing in my blind spot. That's mm. a different thing than what my eyes are looking at. Right. So I, I love that that zen awareness of and yours. people
0: and people will use that to make themselves better. Like if we can be not afraid of something that somebody else is, but then we can be like, oh, well, I shit on this person because look how courageous I am and look how I'm not afraid. And but meanwhile, they're still terrified of something else. And conversely, the other person would be like well yeah all right i'm afraid of this virus but i'm certainly not afraid of the vaccine or afraid of the fucking tanks rolling in and it so it doesn't matter let's just look at everything calmly rationally certainly there's concerns about the virus certainly there's concerns about our freedom and our liberties taken away certainly there's concerns about mandatory policies telling us what we should do with our own bodies i have those concerns but everything needs to be like de-escalated and looked at like yeah. All right. If we start veering that way, you know, all right. We need to let our voices be heard in either way, but it's just let them be heard in a calm, inclusive way, not shaming somebody yeah. for their particular flavor of fear. Yep.
1: Yeah. Where you just have emotionally reactive conversations, right. nothing right. logical. It's like, okay, when, when we're emotionally reactive as all, as our most political conversations, and obviously COVID's unfortunately become politicized, but when you when we see people just being emotionally reactive, we realize those are scared people. They're, they're obviously not behaving like intelligent, respectful adults. And there's a good reason why that's happening because they're scared, which makes them emotional, which means they're these probably genius people. They're not using their prefrontal cortex because in that moment, they're acting out of fear and and i do want you to know a part of me does feel better about uh, myself because <laughs> i'm not afraid of not washing my hands like you aubrey i'm gonna write that one out for another <laughs> little while and i'm just gonna like feel the the power i get from that but i'm gonna <laughs> we're gonna make amends before too long
0: should i should i wear a badge just, just signifying that i'm subservient to to your mastery of that, that? Yes. would that be better it, Maybe i could tattoo my hands if it's not just, too much just coward <laughs> just tag JPC. you
1: you should actually tattoo the word washed on your hands (laughs) that way your hands are always washed so Uh (laughs) but to your point uh recently i put out a a video it went viral it's called what it's like to believe everything the media tells you it took me a and basically in that the the goal is to help wake people up from being in a fear trance and it took me a while to be able to make that video because I had to get right with my own fears, mm-hmm. my fears of rights being taken away, my fears of like, why is Bill Gates so concerned with vaccinating everybody? <laughs> like, like, and I don't know, but that was a fear and that mm-hmm. fear of mandatory vaccines. Like, I, I love the idea of vaccines, but I want it to be a choice. So I had to deal with those fears for a while before I could be level-headed enough to make a video that, that was hopefully good communication and served people. Otherwise it would have just been misdirected anger from my undealt with fears, but as as I able to get right with like, yeah, I'm afraid of these things, mm. aware of it, own it, process it. Cool jp's got a little more prefrontal cortex online and i do mean only a little
0: and i think that's such a it's such a gift and i think it's one of the reasons why the video you know went viral and did so well viral is a funny word to use for that but like <laughs> <laughs> but why the video it what? went
1: covid <laughs> shut the, the country down because of my video
0: <laughs> you know there's there's a good reason it's because laughter i mean even if you talk to tim kennedy or talk to anybody who's been in service like laughter is the way to de-escalate a scary ass situation yeah. you know like the moment you can laugh about it is the moment where you can start to restore some prefrontal cortex and start to be like all right you know like let's just calm down here and think rationally think logically and make the best choices about what to do and so laughter is such a gift in this situation and you know it's it's funny that people find like they'll kind of lash out against people who are de-escalating because they're so attached yeah. to that but it's essential it's essential for us to actually make the next best step is to de-escalate it, we have to do that so we have to laugh so we have to celebrate like comedy and we have to celebrate the ability to look at things and have like a few laughs
1: i agree man you know the we need to de-escalate our emotional charges one way or another laughter is one way breathing is another way Mm -hmm. which by the way laughter gets you breathing so (laughs) it it helps with that sometimes having open honest conversations honestly sometimes you got to go outside and fucking scream sometimes you you got to work out a lot of ways to de-escalate our emotional volatility that happens inside of us it's like it happens for all of us the question is do we deal with it or not and and it's just like the, the the last soldier you'd want to be in a ho- foxhole with is the emotionally reactive one. Totally. Soldier who you do want to be in the foxhole with is the one who is, their pulse is 72. It's like the Tim Kennedy, there's fire underway, but he's calm, which means you're going to be making the best decisions. Nobody makes better decisions with panic. That's why in the olden days when movies were shown on film that was made out of a highly flammable material. There were unfortunately fires in movie theaters, uh, more frequently than today. So what they would find is when there was a fire in a movie theater, what typically killed more people was the panic about it, Mm -hmm. someone screaming fire rather than the fire. So it, it, it teaches us about our nature. We don't make better decisions when we're panicked, when we're emotionally volatile. That's why we need to de escalate
0: it. No like doubt. You said. And it applies to so many things. Rogan's always said that emotions are not a fighter's friend. You know, he's been well, commentating yeah. for the UFC. And when I see, you see it all the time, when you see people really like super emotional as they're going in the walkout and they're fucking beating their chest, they're clearly overcoming their own fear and like using their own portrayal of aggression to get them to do something that's ostensibly incredibly scary. You know, not just from the physical danger but your career your livelihood your value your internal values as a man your, people watching you either get beat up or win i mean it's an unbelievable thing that all these fighters do and the ones that are the scariest are like fedor emilianenko back in the day just fucking Stoic. ice cold or some another version of that was israel adesanya when he just busts out some crump dancing beforehand <laughs> he's so relaxed that yep. he's just fucking and, and even tony ferguson is like that he's just break dancing on his way down and he's the fucking boogeyman yeah. i mean granted he lost to gates G recently but he doesn't mean that he's not the boogeyman it was still an incredible sure. fucking performance of heart and will he's just the skills didn't match up right but those are the people that are terrifying you see that in the great champions you know they'll, they'll be breathing or smiling or dancing or like Fedor or cold and it's like that person is fucking scary yeah like really scary because they're going to be thinking rationally and reacting and and even connor's like connor was so confident you know like his confidence and his belief just created this aura around him of like just and that's that's the people those are the people who are really really scary to deal with you know and that's because they're they're able to use the full faculty you know even cody no love when he was when he was beating um dominic cruz right he was he was doing little dances and smiling and he was just like so alive and in the moment contrasted with when he was fighting tj and he was fucking pissed he just wanted to take his head off. He wasn't yeah. just peppering and dancing. I think at one point against Dominic, Cody pulls out his tattooed guns out of his thing and shoots <laughs> his own feet. You know, I was like, that dude is on fire. You know, like that's that's what because he's responding in a way yeah. that's going to give him an advantage without yeah. that kind of wash of fear.
1: Yeah, man. and And I would almost dare say if we look at some of those great fighters and- and I, I think that can br- bring up a bit of a flow state conversation and I'm not a flow stateologist yet. I know when I'm in a flow state, it's magical. And, and for me, I hit it easiest when I'm on stage. Mm. And, and I think one of the ingredients is there's a certain level of fear, but one of the ingredients is not succumbing to the fear and, and getting all worked up about it and making decisions and having my mindset view the lens of fear. But it's like, Oh no, there's a level of fear. Like there are hundreds of people here to see me. And so it's kind of like playing without a net. So there's a level of pressure that necessitates a rise to the occasion to be so fucking present in the moment that, you know, I can just own a room and you see fighters just, Like Anderson Silva back in the day when Mm -hmm. he would just like do these small, seemingly slow head movements to dodge dodge punches like he's fucking Neo in The Matrix. (laughs) So I I think that relationship with fear—those fighters who aren't succumbing to the fear—I think there's fear there, but the fear isn't what they're looking through. The fear—it's like a passenger in the car. Yeah, it's like it's It's in the back pocket
0: yeah yeah it's not the driver they're not
1: sociopaths they're not superheroes who are incapable of being afraid but the the one in the flow state the one performing amazingly i think has the best relationship
0: with fear no doubt man no doubt well since we brought it up i was uh i was hoping to interview the one who believes everything the media tells them can i can we get that guy for a for an interview within the interview yeah in fact that's me i've just
1: this whole time been <laughs> pretending like i can think for myself so man i've, I've I did my morning routine of uh, watching the news this morning so i could get the latest death count and like recalibrate with how good, good. scared i need to be today so good yeah I'm happy to all right. dive into this all already. right
0: well let's let's start um you know i'm just a i'm just a podcaster and i had a philosophy major so i like myself without a mask by the way yeah i don't know (laughs) why
1: this is attempted homicide let me get my fucking lawyer on the
0: phone (laughs) there are five people in the room which is right at the limit
1: i didn't see him i was too afraid to look behind me
0: um so (laughs) i as i say i'm just a podcaster you know philosopher you know so i'm just looking at some facts and figures and just trying to ask some questions so i just hope i could ask some questions hopefully you could you know give your opinion and and maybe clear some things up tell you
1: the facts um
0: so you know initially what the media was saying was that you know we're looking at a couple million dead and you know mortality rates were you know above four percent and you know based on what we're actually seeing with the real mortality rates um are considerably lower A study done in California of 863 people said that there's at least 28 times more cases than we imagined, which means the mortality rate is lower. Extrapolating that, it's actually, instead of 4%, maybe like between 0.1 and 0.2%. So, you know, magnitude, orders of magnitude, uh, less scary than we initially believed. Um, What are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, I'll tell you, Aubrey, that new study is completely irrelevant to me be, and I'll tell you why because I made up my mind when I was most scared in the beginning when they told me their original death numbers coming in so like anything else after that like I'm not willing to believe it just doesn't feel safe enough to change my mind
0: <laughs> so it didn't shake you at all that you know things had to be oh you in know, down one area not the
1: other it meant fuck all to me
0: <laughs> yeah I yeah. understand that and, makes sense
1: and I also use those new studies, the only thing I'll acknowledge about them is I'll use those studies to justify that the lockdown is working because the death rate is lower because of the lockdown, which makes me believe the lockdown should last forever.
0: <laughs> it's really the the safest way to prevent COVID, it seems, is just to lock down forever. But don't 100%. you see that there's a lot of other costs society-wide and worldwide that that might be causing? Uh, Absolutely not. I mean, I hear
1: some uh, extremists like doctors talking about deaths of despair. I say good. Those people dying of depression and suicide and poverty aren't going to die of COVID anymore, which means technically they've been saved from COVID because they died of something else. I think it's helping the cause.
0: Yeah, it's definitely an opinion uh, for sure. But speaking of deaths. Um, no, it's the absolute <laughs> truth
1: because I'm frightened as I believe it.
0: <laughs> that is a way to justify <laughs> a lot of things for sure. All right. So if we're looking at deaths, the um, just from an economic cost-benefit analysis, Um, the university of cambridge says that in the most optimistic case this is going to cost the world economy 3.3 trillion the the economic impact of the lockdown and the quarantine and everything um in the worst case it could be up to 82 trillion depending on the recession or depression which might be subsequently following but somewhere in that range it's a wide range but 3.3 trillion let's use a low estimate um you look at deaths overall um the World Bank and WHO, they estimate that for clean water and sanitation for the whole world, it would cost um, $101 billion and $6.7 billion over 15 years, which would then save 3.4 million people who die of water-related diseases, most of which are children. So if we took a fraction of what we're spending uh, and what's costing us for covid we could actually have clean water for the world and save three and a half million people mostly kids every year do you think it's that a factor in the conversation first off you strike
1: me as the kind of guy that wears a mask while you're driving in your car so let's get that straight and that's the only thing i like about you (laughs) second off you don't understand people dying of starvation people dying of unclean water that's not in the news So it's not what I'm afraid of. What I'm afraid of is what the news is telling me day after day after day. Everything else doesn't exist to me. Because if I don't hear and see it on the news, it doesn't exist. And I think it's irresponsible of you bringing up these other issues because it's almost like you're trying to get more people to die of COVID by saving more lives in these other areas.
0: Yeah, that is is a irresponsible of me to do that i I just wonder i question whether you know perhaps the media has some vested incentive in gluing people to the media because that's how they sell advertisements and that's how they make money and so it's of their own economic benefit to be talking about something that's really scary versus something that we're kind of used to do you think the media could be biased in what they're presenting there's only two people on the planet who are out for your
1: own good. Catholic priests and the media. So I, the media are journalists. They're here presenting and helping us shape how we perceive the world. Like how, what are you going to do? Like use your own mind to interpret the world without the media? No, you're not going to do that. So the media is helping you have an understanding of how you should see the world in your own best interest for your safety in a way that serves them.
0: mm yeah uh, definitely also also an opinion this fucking guy
1: (laughs) do you guys actually like him
0: (laughs) goon face broken nose yeah diseased hand call me septimus prime (laughs) (laughs) um all right well we mentioned food you you brought that up i was going to talk about that next nine million people die of hunger in a normal year there's some estimates from the world food program that 130 million people will be pushed to the brink of starvation because of our um you know sanctions on on everything and that's they're estimating beasley the director says that that could mean 300,000 extra people die a day uh, for a certain period if we don't rectify some of these issues and if you actually look at what it would cost to um feed the world and prevent those nine million deaths and whatever other subsequent deaths might be caused from the economic downturns and the um Disruptions in supply chain and all the things that are happening. Uh, we're actually talking considerably more than that. It would cost uh, between seven billion for a targeted nutritional intervention, including different education on breastfeeding and different programs, up to two hundred sixty-five billion for a full feeding program and investment in the infrastructure. Um, but they also say that it could increase global GDP to save all those lives and have people fed by up to two hundred seventy-six billion. So it would kind of be a wash. But in either case, that's another ten million people that we could save nine million people and whatever other additional people we could save uh if we allocated some of these resources to food so in combination we're talking already like 13 million people a year we could save if we just allocated some of those resources to clean water and food
1: it's the longest fucking question in my <laughs> life Well, i'll tell you this Aubrey. when you're looking at starvation you're so narrow-minded like we haven't found a cure for starvation yet but luckily, our good friend Bill Gates is working on a vaccine to cure starvation. I think it's really our only hope. And by the way, one of the things that I love most about Bill Gates is that I trust him 100% because he wears sweaters over collared shirts. You know, this it's like guy, Mr. Rogers. Yeah, 100%. This guy, like, he's, he's such an altruistic fellow. We look at our friend Bill. In 1999, the federal government sues him an antitrust lawsuit against Microsoft, and he was found guilty of creating a monopoly, presumably because he's so power hungry and wants a sense of control. Then the next year, in the year 2000, he started the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation which now controls the World Health Organization. So in just one year, he went from a power-hungry person, the federal government was having to sue because he's breaking the laws, to all of a sudden, one year later, an altruistic fella that just wants to save everybody around the world through his vaccines. He found Jesus. He found Jesus, and that's why we can trust our friend Bill. so the idea like you wanna feed hungry people food, Bro, Bill's not talking about that. Watch the news to see what Bill's talking about. He's talking about vaccines. That's why, like, he's not a doctor. He doesn't have a medical degree, which means he's not indoctrinated in the corrupt medical system because he doesn't have any medical training. It means he knows more about medicine than anybody else. So Bill's talking about vaccines. It's just like, when my future child is born, if he gets sick, I'm not taking them to a doctor. I'm not an idiot. I'll take them to the Apple store and have a computer programmer take a look at them.
0: yeah that's a that's a that's another strategy I, I don't know what to say it's just uh it's an interesting strategy i have a couple other things i'd love for you to comment hopefully on, they're longer questions than the last one <laughs> uh domestic abuse deaths have gone way up uh there's some reports that they tripled in china and doubled in the uk my sister who works as a casa court appointed special advocate with with kids says that in the area that she has purview over it, there's been a 400 increase in child domestic abuse deaths um, and there's also a massive level of underreporting with schools closed because two-thirds of reporting of domestic abuse of children is done by teachers, coaches, daycare people. So this is just one of the ancillary costs that the media is just not really covering the same way they're covering the COVID death count.
1: I literally didn't hear a word that you said
0: <laughs> because you didn't say anything
1: that my brain has been trained with from the news. Mm. So I just heard Silence. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like, all right, fair enough. Well, we'll go on. Uh, suicides is another thing that, you know, has actually some people talked about it. And um, Oxford University research says that suicide rates rise by 1% for every percentage point of unemployment, which means that we're looking at potentially an extra 20,000 additional suicide deaths because of the rise in unemployment that has been caused. So that's uh, just another 20,000 people taking their own life.
1: Yeah, but what we need to understand is we are saving millions, probably billions, potentially trillions of lives through the lockdown. And I'll tell you, an idiot friend of mine, he one time had this conspiracy theory that... Back in the day, Bill Gates realized like he can no longer use Microsoft as the vehicle to take over the world. Once he was found guilty, the government broke that up. So the very next year, he formed the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation to be the new vehicle that he uses to take over the world, more power and control. And because he disguised it in a way where he's helping people, that actually trains the world to help him take more of their power and their control and their personal sovereignty. but i told him like bro the guy's a billionaire not a trillionaire he's not (laughs) smart enough to do that Mm. so he's a conspiracy theorist just a complete idiot wacko huh yeah he does not watch the news uh
0: addiction let's just keep going uh um keep talking about all these things uh 67 percent more alcohol sales according to the tax receipts so you know alcohol is really one of the major scourges on people's physical health and also causes a lot of accidents and violent behavior. And it's just going way up in response to everything that has been mandated. Is that a concern for you at all? Well, it is. And I think as a society,
1: if we band together and get these alcoholics onto opioids in the medical system, I think we'll really be able to help them deal with the pain that's driving them to drink in the first place.
0: (laughs) yeah that, that makes sense for sure um all right well let's just keep going you're doing such a good job addressing all my concerns here thank you
1: i want you to know that i'm blacked out with fear right now <laughs> i i am not aware of my own consciousness my soul is potentially left to my body I, I couldn't be more terrified but i feel safer than, the more terrified i am
0: good good um one of the things that people have been really afraid of is these hospitals getting overwhelmed and you know there's lots of stories about this and um you know certainly we've seen that in uh from moments in italy and potentially moments in in new york where there is a surge but nonetheless um if you look at the labor department statistics the hospitals had to lay off 1.4 million healthcare workers in april because the hospitals were actually not at capacity and they didn't have work so they had to furlough their employees and doctors and healthcare workers and people on the front lines um had to get laid off in april so what's what's going on there
1: you're bit now you're basically talking about a flat earth mr conspiracy (laughs) theorist if you want to get an accurate assessment of what's going on in u.s hospitals all you need to do is look once again at the picture of the hospitals in italy like (laughs) after that you don't need to understand anything new more updated information Mm -hmm. or what's going on locally because remember that picture so scary.
0: <laughs> yeah, doctors having to choose who lives or dies—that's something that's yeah. a memorable story.
1: You know? I've got it as a screensaver on my phone so that I'll never forget. <laughs> I understand. And I I'm, understand. I was frightened when I saw it the first time, so I it's, actually I can't forget.
0: <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's talk about a couple other things. There's some uh, people who are concerned about censorship. You know, people with dissenting opinions, people who are you know raising questions and um, providing an alternate hypothesis to mainstream news. Uh, their videos are often getting taken off of YouTube and people are worried that this is a violation of the freedom of speech.
1: Well, the World Health Organization is teaching YouTube and Facebook what the appropriate health guidelines are with information like 5G and the coronavirus. So luckily, any information that's not correct information, which means any information that's someone else's information other than the world health organization is dangerous and should be censored because it will kill people
0: (laughs) okay okay i see i see your point there i don't necessarily agree with that um people are also concerned about potential orwellian measures you know mandatory vaccines phone tracking chipping people are worried that this is going to be this kind of initial step that's going to get people to sacrifice their freedom in order for an increased sense of safety
1: yeah oh yeah i, I am so willing to sacrifice my freedoms now so that i won't die and that, like i've never seen braveheart so the idea that people will eventually die in the name of their freedoms like that's not part of me i'm very weak so i'm not even willing to do that so when i look at the idea of like mandatory vaccines i two things first off I hope they come about without long-term human trials because those long-term human trials to prove safety and effectiveness, it's just like unnecessary bragging. I say like, let's be humble. I just rub it in people's faces, how effective these vaccines are. Let's just start using them. And two, I hope the vaccines come with microchips, (laughs) you know, for our own good. Of course, I don't want to, I don't want to sound greedy, But I'd like to ask them for two microchips if I could, because I want to be extra safe. (laughs) Like, literally, if you told me to run
0: out in traffic, but it's for my own good, I would do it. (laughs) I feel you. I feel you, man. Um, Personal health is the last thing I just wanted to talk about. I mean, it's uh, a lot of the measures people staying at home, people overeating, people drinking alcohol. uh, It's lowering their own immunity. Also, there's concerns about the innate immunity that comes up from actually exposing yourself to different things with all the hand washing the masking people are worried about long-term consequences and also worried about some of these things that like exercise being limited gyms being closed everything all the things that actually support a robust and healthy system Um, like i talked about in my book own the day all of these different practices that can actually get you to a position where you're in the vast majority of people that exhibit fewer symptoms and are able to deal with this virus that's actually being depressed so we're actually more vulnerable not only this virus but every other virus and every other threat that might come about so do you see any concern with you know focusing on one thing to the detriment of our overall health and making us at risk for everything else
1: no that's incorrect information i have never once seen on the news anything that suggests that we have influence over our own health and our immunity <laughs> like, like, like have the aliens landed yet like Come on, bro. The only hope we have for our health, the only thing we can do is hope they can come up with a vaccine that will protect our health. <laughs> Nothing else we can do.
0: All right. Well, it was a pleasure interviewing I, you. I
1: think I got diabetes during this conversation <laughs> and it's not my fault.
0: <laughs> uh thank you. I'll take uh, I'll take JP back now, yeah. please. <laughs> wow
1: <laughs> how know, was it dealing with that fucker aubrey
0: <laughs> it was actually pretty funny i'm not a comic genius because i could not stay in character at all i had nothing i had nothing to say except laugh and uh but you know nonetheless like look all of us as i said humor is really important and understand that was a comic sketch yes the facts that i read you know are supported and have have studies around them but nonetheless like we have to just look at these things have a laugh like and just analyze the whole picture. We're not yeah. saying that COVID's not real. You know, you're the person that you know whose father got diagnosed, he's in a bad way. You know, like yeah. there's some bad shit that's happening. And there are some healthcare workers who are really fucking stressed and really busting their ass and like spending a ton of time, you know, dealing with different concerns. All of that is real. Yeah. And all of that is like part of the picture. When my parents got pneumonia, just a normal case of pneumonia, and they were waiting on their tests. Like that shit's scary. My parents are in their 70s, yeah. you know, like all of these factors are also real. And we're not saying like, we need to disregard all measures, you know? Like, all right, there's some things that are reasonable, but unless we're actually looking at everything, there's no balance that can be struck, uh-huh. you know? And there's no logic that can be that can be utilized. So it's just like taking everything holistically and saying like, let's just look at everything.
1: Yeah, you know, that is a look at everything. Not, you know, as we had fun within that sketch, looking at just what the news tells us that's not everything and and you know i i don't want to get pessimistic about the news yet i you know i I think getting a person getting their news from the news is like getting financial advice from a broke person like it's called the news but it might not be the best source of news and you know i I, there was a a podcast tony robbins put out it's great you listen listen to to it. it yeah phenomenal two facts, and a half
0: facts over fear i think it's called
1: yeah two and a half hours i mean people please check it out
0: nobel prize winners on there a bunch prize, of doctors epidemiologists of the Cleveland clinic
1: 100 yeah. the, percent. the doctors that got banned from youtube for voicing like hey you know we're here's what we're seeing here on the front lines after dealing with five thousand patients so those doctors and for me it was a single best source of information you know i think it would it take dozens and dozens of hours to decipher through, to get that information through other sources. And to me, the beautiful thing about that podcast is they weren't emotionally charged. They weren't like, Hey, that's a, here's the conspiracies or screw them for having a lockdown. They were saying like, no, here's what we know in our opinion based on what we know with the latest information. So super informative. And, and, you know, that was a great source of news
0: no doubt and that's the beautiful part about the world we live in is that there's multiple different sources and even the concerns about censorship all right youtube's doing it but podcasts haven't been yeah haven't been fuck with and, there, and even if they did there would be new it's almost like when you the, like the best way to make a book like a a worldwide sensation is to ban it, ban it yeah you know like that's going to make sure that shit is fucking everywhere because people are going to wonder why you banned it and i think you've seen that with a lot of the stuff that's been banned it's been the most successful things that have that have kind of come up because whenever you resist something it proliferates what you what you resist is is something that persists and grows and that's old wisdom that i don't think we've learned here that's like if if they weren't afraid of those opinions they would just let them go and if those opinions it's like they're not they're not removing flat earth videos from youtube there's fucking plenty of those and that's total nonsense i've got one on there i fucking (laughs) love it (laughs) you know when i i don't know what it was uh couple
1: months ago at this point, when I got the notification at the back end of YouTube on YouTube studio saying, I mean, it, this is paraphrased, but they said, we're going to censor you and we're taking down videos and you could get strikes against your account for people who are posting. It was information on 5G and the coronavirus that doesn't align with the world health organization standards. You know, when I saw that it, it didn't feel good. It didn't feel like it's for the people. And then now we, we're getting so many examples, you know, London Real being majorly censored on YouTube and these doctors having their being censored. Um, it, It's a concern for me. And, you know, not just like me as like a, a professional, I'm, that's what not what I'm talking about, but it's a concern for me for humanity and our freedoms. And there was a headline two days ago. My wife showed me where uh, Trump declared he's going to go after the social media giants for censoring people's speech, and and I love that. It, it's weird. Like now, I think like the the hippie population that's been so fucking anti-Trump for the past mm. four years. Now, like, and I'm not saying like, hey, I'm pro-Trump. I'm saying I'm pro some of the things Trump's doing. Like withdrawing funding from the world health organization that's something like the the new age hippie crowd that normally just dogmatically hates trump we're like oh that's fucking awesome
0: yeah it's like people are really robust and intricate people with flaws yeah. and things They're not, you can't just categorize the person There's as one nuances. thing and it's also i think it's also important too because so many people you know if you can account for something based on ignorance and based on fear and based on personal greed and motivation you don't have to hypothesize a conspiracy yeah you know the fact like trump's actions you know wouldn't he be in on the conspiracy first of all he's in whatever this hypothesis is he's uber wealthy elitist and the president you'd think he'd be part of but his actions are like no he's just a dude trying to figure it out with a massive ego and and some other shit but he's and he's made tons of mistakes and he's ignorant in a multiplicity of ways like granted all that but it's not he's not acting conspiratorially in any of this and so it's like don't allow this idea of some nefarious illuminati deep state organization to account for something that you could just account from simple greed or simple lust for power or simple ignorance you know like all of these things can account for everything that's going on from yeah
1: from my delusional point of view where you know, to me it appears and this is looking at things through headlines articles the news so is it accurate who the hell knows and it's through my delusional perspective anyway yet it to me seems as though Trump is acting in a rational way towards the lockdown. You know, he's like refusing to wear masks. He's, you know, supporting Elon, like, yes, open up the Tesla factory, go Elon. And saying, we need to open up the country. Let's have the social media giants stop censoring individuals' speech. You know, when I look at that, I'm like, why is he not behaving as though he's bought and paid for? Right. Right. In in my own stupid hypothesis, I look at it and say like, well, maybe here's why. He's an outsider. He's not a politician. Still not a fucking politician. (laughs) He's their president. But he's an outsider. He came to the table with more wealth and fame than any of these other politicians will ever have. And it's the wealth, the fame, and the symbols of power that go with that, that I would dare say causes a politician to be susceptible for corruption. Like, you know, like whether it in, is this true? I don't know, but let's just pretend our lockdown is longer than what is in our best interests. If that's true, we have to ask like, then who's acting against our best interests? Is there corruption going on? I don't know. But Mm -hmm. it's a valid question. But here's Trump the cowboy trying to like open everything back up. And I just wonder, is it because his ego is all essentially above all this politician bribery? He's like, motherfuckers, I got more money than you. I've got more fame than you. And guess what? I'm in a position of power that's above your positions. So no, I'm going to do what I want.
0: (laughs) I don't know. Who knows, man? And it's just, it's, I think the important thing is to recognize like, We have to just look at these things without our preconceived notions, without our biases. And like, whether you like somebody as a person or yeah, he could be, you could make a very good argument that he's misogynistic, that he's a bit racist. You could make all those arguments. They're all fair. Doesn't mean that everything he says is going to be wrong and it, it's like that's the thing that we that's the thing we do we try to we try to make somebody will find one flaw that they have or you know someone will look at jordan peterson they'll find one snippet of one thing he said about women and some something possibly out of context possibly not and then they'll try and disregard the entire body of his work yeah based on that one thing right it's like no like even one of my favorite philosophers carlos castaneda he was a fucking crazy person you know like if you read the personal history of him like he might have convinced his girlfriends to bury themselves alive when he died Jesus, he might have convinced them of that like that's fucked up does it mean is that wrong (laughs) because i've I've got an agreement with my wife but go on you just your opinion like doesn't mean that you can't read you know the wheel of time and get some actionable wisdom yeah about from that like we got to just kind of disregard and just take everything individually like what is this thing what is this thing what is this thing and not make you're not a conspiracy theorist or a not you're not a denier or a not you're just a person trying to figure shit out and that's what we're all doing and if we just do that then we can start identifying with the humanity that's within us rather than the things that we allow our mind to make somebody inhuman for yeah you know which is what we do in war when we're trying to call somebody a charlie or call like you know a commie or a fucking whatever we try to dehumanize them so that we can point our guns and shoot them without any qualms because we've made them lesser than us but it's not true you know and that's why that the story of the people playing soccer on christmas during during world Mm, war like they're like fuck yeah we just played a soccer match with the people we're trying to blow up and throw gas on every day like damn they're just like us and that's the thing that's that that just kind of undermines like all of this kind of politicization and all of the yeah. the basis for for war and separation when we cat, I think when we categorize
1: someone into the bad person category because we find the one thing like you're not inclusive towards redheads
0: fuck you you're <laughs> yeah. an
1: entirely bad person I think we do that because we're mentally lazy we don't want to actually now think about other things they have to say and explore the nuances, which takes brain energy that we either don't have or don't want to devote. But I would dare say there's probably not a single person on planet earth that you truly don't like everything about, you know, some people there will be more than others, but uh, a friend of mine, the other night we were having similar conversation and he, in a very open minded way, he said, "I bet there's things about Hitler you would like and like and that's like almost controversial, as like, Cool, I'm not about killing people. <laughs> that's not right. the thing I like, but it, he's probably right, like you maybe he's nice to his cat It's like cool i I like it when people are nice to animals and they treat them well. so and Hitler's an extreme example yet when we look at anybody that we're just throwing in the oh, you're in the dipshit box right yeah, that's any
0: good movie any good movie has a villain that has some characteristics that humanize them mm-hmm. like that's like all the all the great art is about that like that's why the joker movie was so revolutionary yeah. right it was like you saw the human being in this maniacal you know super villain and then and that makes a huge impact and i think that's we're starting to see that i think the joker was a really pivotal movie for that because usually the joker is just oh this is a you know maniac homicidal killer who's just out for chaos like bane you know bane was a very flat character you know but it was a great great character but it was not as interesting as this joker which is you know showing the human side of it and i think we got to look at that at always and just recognize that every single person is a is a person and every single life matters whether we're seeing it or not like everything counts you know and to me that's the energy of
1: compassion love and connection not the energy of fear and separation yeah and that it's to me it's i feel weird saying this the joker movie was a movie about compassion Mm -hmm. as you mentioned you get to know the character and when you get to know the human underneath the behavior that's compassion. Yep. Yeah. Uh, That's it. Um, because we're talking about politics, Aubrey. Uh, can I share a joke with you? Please. I just wrote this, uh, I think it was yesterday. It is a joke meant for the stage, so there's not gonna be an audience. It's good it's it won't be funny here. <laughs> but I and I'm an equal audience We will all judge
0: you for it and, you. Ex, and cast you. you out of our comic yeah. Ob- pantheon. Observe
1: how I'm not funny, but take my <laughs> word, I'm funny. Um I've been on the news. So anyway, you can watch the news and see I'm funny on the news. But so <laughs> to my fucking joke, i mean an e- equal opportunity offender. So I'm going to offend both sides as part of the uh. joke. So I've got a, a joke I do on stage where I'm talking about how food is like people. And I go through how, you know, different foods are going through the same social issues that different groups of people are going through. Like, Tofurky, it's the it's the transgender of the food community like i used to be a plant but now i identify as meat and uh gluten's the donald trump of food half our country's intolerant yet we chose to eat and um alcohol's the joe biden of the food world it's connected to impaired speech (laughs) and joe biden is the human equivalent of roofie's as roofies are connected to memory loss and sexual assault <laughs> anyway i just wrote that i need nice one like, ah, nice. I need
0: a- nice that's good <laughs> yeah you know, spread the spread the jokes around spread yeah. the love around spread the jokes around like it's time to just eliminate all of these different you know silos let's just yeah. all recognize it's one team it's team people on team earth and like it's fucking one team here we're on yeah. one team like let's love each other and not like fucking hate each other if we have a belief or an opinion or anything that comes out like that like let's let's love each other let's all figure it out Neither one of us are saying like, you know, Corona is not real. We got to change everything. We shouldn't have, we shouldn't have done what we did. We don't know enough to do yeah. that, but we're just asking questions and looking at things and realizing that the question is not as nuanced and not as robust as it should yeah. be. And we feel called to make sure that the conversation is robust. Yeah. We're not in any position to decide any policy. We're just here to ask questions and and kind of point at things and then let the collective kind of sort it out, like all collectively, let's fucking figure this shit yeah. out in a rational way.
1: The the only thing I know for sure is people shouldn't do what I think they should do. <laughs> I, I think people should do what they think they should do. Amen. And I think them thinking for themselves, you might get some information from the news, but make sure you're making your choices based on your own thinking. Because I think the miracle that each person is means they have a a a god-given innate intelligence and a free will that deserves to be expressed you know i think it's disrespectful to wherever we came from to treat ourselves like a robot to treat ourselves like a slave and i think the only person that can enslave us if you're lucky enough to live in a first world country is yourself
0: and unless you go to a kinky sex dungeon yeah.
1: And it's kind of like, that's still kind <laughs> of
0: do this to me, please. And
1: <laughs> please don't videotape this hashtag Robert Kraft. And, and our, our friend, Tim Kennedy, he, he raises a powerful dichotomy, which is you're either going to choose peaceful slavery or dangerous freedom. And of course the choice is yours. And yep. how, how you live is and your that is,
0: And that is your choice, honestly. Yeah. and And like, it's up to us to honor that choice either way and how even if that is hard for us even the people who are choosing peaceful slavery can we love them the same way we love a tim kennedy who's choosing dangerous freedom and fighting for it can we and that's our that's our sadna, that's our spiritual practice to love every single person even the people who are offended by this podcast or offended by your latest video and write some scathing comment about how we are personally responsible for the death of somebody else because of mm-hmm. something we said like even that person like can we love that person and uh, and that's our that's our spiritual practice. 100%. That's our invitation.
1: And I, because it, that truly is a spiritual practice, I think when we look at people that disagree with us, whether it's about you know this pandemic issue or disagree with us about politics, religion, or how to raise a child, what if we looked at those people that disagree with us and said, thank God for their disagreement. That is a more powerful catalyst of love than people who agree with me because when we look at people that we disagree with now we have the opportunity for unconditional acceptance can i accept you even though we don't agree and it's beautiful it's love it's connection if we do when people agree with us you know it's we don't have that adversity to mm-hmm. strengthen our unconditional love expression yep. we we don't have to accept them for any differences And I think people that we agree with, they're comfortable. And that's typically who we surround ourselves with most. But I think the people that disagree with us are more beneficial to us. And can we be respectful, kind, and most of all, accepting towards them, even though we disagree? By the way, I'll go on record and say, if anybody if everybody completely agreed with you, the world would be so shitty. It'd be yeah. so boring. There wouldn't be diversity. Like there wouldn't be different kinds of music. There wouldn't be different opinions. There wouldn't be growth. There wouldn't be expanded learning. So thank God people disagree with us. And can we view them with acceptance, not rejection?
0: Boom. Nailed it so good to talk to you man oh so good to talk with you brother youtube channel what's yeah. the they can obviously search jp sears but what's yeah. the actual link
1: awaken with jp on youtube and all the social medias and
0: podcasts
1: indeed yeah podcast awaken with jp sears it's in all the spots if you want to check it out you you've been on there a couple times mm-hmm. most recently as well so
0: yeah awesome man well real pleasure brother thank you brother. yeah continue i know both of us have personally had a a beautiful personally personally had a beautiful kind of quarantine experience obviously you know you're pregnant and that's all going on and you and your wife are having a beautiful experience i'm engaged now and i'm having a beautiful experience and (laughs) so you know it's there's even in the midst of this large external i think there's a lot of people who are finding like real beauty amidst the resistance and the chaos so may that continue for you my friend
1: yeah and you too brother all right
0: thanks everybody much love peace Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Be safe, love each other, show your support in whatever way your heart is called, and I look forward to talking to you next week.